2017 for us as a church has been an incredible year, a very busy year. Um, new name, new location, new building, goodness knows what else. And I was really praying and thinking, God, what, what do we do? What, where do we start in 2018? And I really felt that God took me to, to, to this kind of thought about let's take everyone, take everyone to the heart of what this is all about. Let's start this year with the heart of what this is all about. So we can leave names and brands and logos and buildings and new locations and all that to one side. What is it all really about? And for those of you that are here this morning, those of you that are listening or watching, I want, I want to take you over the next five weeks uh, through what I believe, and I'm right, what I believe is the greatest short story that has ever been written. You see, short stories are great. This one is the greatest. This is the greatest short story that has ever been written, in my opinion. And uh, what, what, what this story contains is the heart of what God is all about and God's interaction with mankind. This is the heart of it. If you could boil it all down to one story, this is it. And I need to credit this material because a few months ago I was at a conference with some other leaders here and I heard a guy called Dave Ferguson from uh, Christian Community Church in Chicago speak and he introduced a book that him and his brother John had written. And it's called How to Find Your Way Back to God. Finding Your Way Back to God. And that's where this theme and this series has come from. This idea of awakening. And in the book he talks about different awakenings that, that we need to go on if we're going to find our way back to God. And I want to be really clear. This is for any of you who don't know God. And you're not sure if you're a Christian. This is for you. To any of you who do know there's a God and you're sure you're a Christian, this is also for you. Because we all get lost. We all get disconnected from God. We all need to find our way home again to God. And this short story contains what I think is the heart of who God is and what God is about. This story is a parable. And a parable is a story that often Jesus told parables, other people do them, but Jesus was the master story parable teller. And a parable is a story that contains basically one single truth. But this parable is like a, a, a house with many rooms. It contains so many truths. But it contains within it what I think is, is in a nutshell the story of mankind and God. And it's this, God created us, God lost us, God won us back. That's it. God created us. God lost us because of our disobedience. But God won us back by sending Jesus Christ. Isn't that exciting? That's it. And in this story, you can see the central thing. You see, if you've ever been lost, how many have ever been lost? Anyone got lost? It's horrible, isn't it? And getting lost is horrible. But even just being lost when you're looking for something is horrible. If you're in a, a city... Uh, and you don't know where to go and you, your phone's deserting you and you've got no signal. And, um, or if you're in a theme park and you, you want to go on a certain ride uh, and you don't know where it is, you look for the big map, don't you? you know, there's maps in the city and I, I was in a city recently and I had to find a map. And when you're looking for where you're going, you don't look for where you're going, you look for this, don't you? You look for something to tell you you are here. Because if you don't know where you are, you've got no chance of getting to where you're going. And here's the thing, when God created mankind, the Bible says in the book of Genesis that God created mankind. How he did that is a different talk, okay? But let's just go with it. How God created mankind. And what happened was that when Adam and Eve turned away from God and went their own direction, there was a disconnection between God and mankind. And the Bible said that the first recorded question in all of history, God asked, and it was this, 
Where are you? Where are you? Because God's longing is for relationship with us, but we get lost. And the question, where are you, means we need to go to say, I'm here. This is where I am. If I know where I am, then I'll know how to move. And um, what we're going to do is we're going to look at this whole idea of when you get lost, how do you find your way home? Now, I don't know whether it's because I'm getting a bit older, but the last few years, I've been tuning in to the Queen's speech on Christmas Day. How old school is that? In fact, I've been recording it and then watching it later. But I've been really impressed the last few years of how much her faith comes through the speech. And this year, the theme of her speech was home. Obviously, they're welcoming a new person into their family this year as well, Meghan Markle. Uh, But this was all about home and about how homes were destroyed through fire and through terrorism, etc. And about how homes are being created and about home being that place of acceptance and belonging and safety and security. And that's a central theme in this story that we're going to look at. And the story comes in Luke chapter 15. I need to give you a little bit more background before we look at it. You know, I said at the beginning, the world is split into two groups of people, those who set goals and those who don't. I was reading a book over Christmas and this guy said, actually, the world is split into two groups of people, those who I call maniacs who drive faster than me and those who I call idiots who drive slower than me. Oh, that's so such a bloke statement that is, isn't it? Maniac, you're too fast. Idiot, you're too slow. I'm perfect in the middle. But actually, the world is split into two groups of people, and you see it here in Luke 15. Here we go. Luke 15, verse 1 to 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering round to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now, this is the context to where Jesus tells three parables, okay? And the big one is the one that we're going to look at over the next five weeks. But in the crowd, there are two groups of people. There are tax collectors and sinners. That's one group. And there are Pharisees and teachers of the law. That's another. Now, what you want to understand is that I've been looking into this. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they had a phrase for the other group of people. They call them the people of the land. In other words, the commoners, the non-religious, non-educated, the rest of us. Us, okay? We're in that group. And then there's this other group, which is the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And there's two groups that Jesus is addressing. Now, what's interesting is that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law would have very little, if nothing, to do with tax collectors and sinners. In fact, I found this out, which I didn't know. You know, this story that I'm going to talk to you about, I've looked through my my notes and my talks. I've preached on this passage of Scripture more than any other passage, and yet I'm finding new things as I look at it again, which is amazing. But apparently, Pharisees had a phrase where they said this. They didn't used to say, there's joy in heaven when one sinner comes home to God. They had a phrase, there's joy in heaven when one sinner is obliterated by God. They had missed it so much. That's the genius of Jesus' communication here. So here's the two groups of people, the people of the land and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Jesus then tells a story about two sons. Here's the genius. The younger son leaves home. He has a longing, but he doesn't know where to find it, just like the tax collectors and sinners. The younger son doesn't leave home, but he has a longing too, and he doesn't know where to find it, just like the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. You see, rebellion or religion both keep you disconnected from the love of the Father. Both cause you to get lost from home. 
To find our way back home again, we have to be able to deal with the rebellion and with the religion and find what it really means to come home. So here's the story. Here's the story. Next one. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son, um, where, where I've got, lost my voice, got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Now just hold it there for a minute. The people listening, all of them, the tax collectors, sinners, and the Pharisees and teachers of the law, were all shocked by what they heard. Okay? Because in Jewish law, um, you, you, you respect your, your parents a lot, okay? And in fact, in the Jewish law, um, you weren't able to give uh, your inheritance to your kids as you wanted to. Two thirds went to the elder son and a third went to the younger son. And it always happened after you died. And when they heard this, they would be shocked. You see, what the younger son demands is scandalous. He's coming along to the father and he's saying, I'm going to get something from you when you're dead. I want it now. In other words, he's saying, I wish you were dead. Scandalous. What everybody would expect is they expect the father to say, no way, Jose, you're not having any of that. No way are you having that. That's what they'd expect. But they don't. What actually happens is that the father gives him what is coming to him and he lets him go. Let me just say a word to you as parents, okay? I've been speaking to quite a few parents over the last few weeks. And I know, how many of you know parenting is the easiest job in the world, isn't it just? Yeah. And when you read all the books on parenting, doesn't that make you feel so much better as a parent? Often it doesn't. I meet so many parents trying really hard to be good parents, reading books, learning, which is really good, but sometimes feeling so rubbish in the process. And sometimes the hardest thing in the world to do as a parent is to let your kid go. But that's exactly what happened here. The younger son came and said, I wish you were dead. Give me what's coming to me. There must be more than this. Give me what's, what's owing to me. And the father's son gave it to him and let him go. That's got to be the hardest thing to do. Sometimes as a parent, you've got to do the hard thing, which is being willing to let them go. And I want you to know this. When you beat yourself up as a parent, Okay, because your kid hasn't turned out like you wanted to or like you expected or because they're right now looking rebellious, you need to know you're in really good company. God, the perfect parent, knows exactly what you're feeling. He is the perfect parent, perfect nature, perfect nurture. His kids broke his heart. I want you to know as parents, you're doing the best job you can. If you're not, get some help, get some assistance, all of that kind of stuff. But even if you're doing all of that, you're doing the best you can. You need to know you're in really, really good company. But here's what happens. The younger son demands something that's scandalous, but he's also demanding something that's normal. He's saying, I want what's coming to me. There's an awakening in him of longing. There must be more to life than this. And we're going to look at five awakenings over the next five weeks. And the first one is an awakening to longing. But before we look at longing, let's just look at this idea of awakening. How many of you experience this? January is so hard to get going. Is, is it just me? It's so sluggish, isn't it? How many of you struggled with the alarm clock over the last few days? You know, how many of you hit snooze on the alarm clock? Twice, three times. 
the lady. Okay, have you, this happens. You know, what, what happens, I, I've looked at this uh, on the internet. There's some crazy alarm clocks that can help you. There's one alarm clock that if you don't hit snooze, it will make random calls to your contact list. How scary is that? Your boss gets a call from, from your phone. There's an alarm clock that if you don't hit snooze, it audibly screams at you. And there's one which, which shakes with music so loud that it will shake the whole room. All these different things to wake you up. I want to suggest we often need waking up, don't we, in our lives. Whether you're a Christian or not, things go to sleep. We let things go to sleep. We let God sometimes even go to sleep within us. We need an awakening. And the first awakening is an awakening to longing. The dictionary defines awakening as the act of rousing from sleep, but it also talks about a revival of interest or attention. The dictionary also says an awakening is a renewal of interest in religion. It's a revival. Oh, the start of this year. Wouldn't it be an amazing prayer to pray? Lord, let this be a year of awakening. Come on. Let this be a year of awakening in my life, in our marriage, in our family in our community, in our church, in our nation. Wouldn't it be amazing? On Tuesday night, we're going to pray together. You're going to hear from um, the general superintendent of our denomination, Chris Cartwright. You're going to hear a little bit of a message from him. And we're going to pray for our denomination, for Elim. We're going to pray for our nation. We're going to pray. You can also hear about a great youth evangelistic event, which is happening in the black country in March. One of the biggest youth missions for a generation. And our prayer in all of that is that God would bring an awakening in our nation. Don't you want that? But an awakening in our nation starts with an awakening in our heart. Starts with an awakening in our heart. Life change is important. A few years ago, um, we did another series called Aha. Uh, And uh, the guy that we took the material from, Kyle Eidelman, he said life change, if you really want life change, is a sudden awakening that leads to an honest moment that brings lasting change. And he developed this kind of whole thought really about first you have an awakening where the lights come on and where you wake up. Next slide please, Chris. Awakening, then secondly you have honesty, brutal honesty, and then thirdly you have action. And then the next slide, basically that is aha, that aha moment when the lights come on. And when real change only comes through an awakening, through honesty and through action. And I want to share this, not to big myself up, but this is a, the illustration works. Two years ago, um, the first series of the year, I was preparing it and I believe God said to me, talk about the new you. What's the new you that you want, you know? And then I felt God say, why don't you look at all the different aspects of who we are? What does it mean to be new relationally? What does it mean to have newness financially and uh, spiritually and emotionally? And then, I, and then God said, and there's another one, Leon, isn't there? Physically, what does that look like? And all the other four, I was fine as I was preparing. Then as I began to prepare, looking at what does it mean to be the you that you want to be physically, I had an awakening. Because I was approaching 50 and I tried to lose weight many times before. I tried to do exercise many times before, but I hadn't had enough awakening or enough honesty or action, but I did then. And there was an awakening and there was some brutal honesty that I had to say to myself. And, and I said, I can't bring this stuff to anybody else if I'm not applying it to myself first, or at least trying to apply it to myself first. And that resulted in some life change and some action. Now, I'd love to say that I've got it totally sorted. I haven't, and there's lots of other things that I'm not there yet, okay? But the point is this, without awakening, 
honesty and action, nothing will change. Hello? And some of us in this room or some watching or listening, you will be there and you will have a longing to change something in your life. You will have a longing to do something in your life. But without awakening, honesty and action, it will only stay a longing. God, awaken something. Let me be honest and then bring action. And I think the younger son has had an awakening to longing. He's had an awakening. There must be more than this. The problem is he's looking in the wrong places. And what I want to do this morning is I want to to highlight what I think are three deep longings in the human soul. These are three deep longings that you have and I have. But I think they can only be fully satisfied in God. The first one is a longing for intimacy. We all have a longing for intimacy. You know, the record number of marriages for a US man, for an American man, is held by a guy, a guy called Glenn Wolf. 29 marriages. The scary and sad thing is, there's many scary and sad things, he was a Baptist minister. His final marriage was to a, a lady called Linda, who held the record for the most amount of marriages as a woman. She was married 23 times. You've got to look at those two people and think, what on earth is going on there? But within all of them, there's a longing and a desire, isn't there? With all of us, for intimacy. The younger son is looking for intimacy, but he's knocking on the wrong doors. Now, intimacy is not the same as sex, okay? Us men don't quite get that. I mean, don't quite get the sex. No, stop, stop. The understanding, we don't quite understand that intimacy is not the same as sex, but it's not. Dallas Willard, who's a great writer, he said this, intimacy is shared experience. That's what we're looking for. We're looking for shared experience. Um, let me show you this picture. Uh, this is some of, my <laughs> some of my many selfies of 2017, okay? Uh, it's just a little bit of fun and banter that I do when I'm away sometimes. Do you know that in 2015, more people died taking selfies than shark attacks? Do you know that? It's quite scary. Why do we take selfies? Maybe because we're a little bit narcissistic, although I hope I'm not. But the reason that we take selfies is because we all have a longing to connect. And one of the reasons that social media has taken off in such a massive way is because we all have a longing to connect. We all have a longing for shared experiences. That's why we do that kind of stuff, because we want to share that experience with someone else. When Jesus chose 12 to be with him, it says in the, in the Gospel of Mark, he chose 12 that they might be with him. Not that they would be on the team, not that they would fill, fill, fill the role, that they would be with him. And when they were with him, they walked together and they ate together and they climbed mountains together and they crossed lakes together and they had fun together and they had some tough words together. But they were together because intimacy is shared experience. So how do you awaken a longing for intimacy with God? How do you have a greater intimacy with God? Exactly the same way that you do with a person. It requires time. It requires connection. It requires some vulnerability. And it requires some shared experience. So let me ask you a few questions this morning. How much are you experiencing God's presence these days? What is your appetite for reading the Bible? How naturally do you find yourself expressing gratitude to God? Are you praying more or less than in the past? Are you giving more or less than in the past? Are you noticing people who are in pain or need more or less than in the past? Is your hunger to know God increasing or decreasing? Because if it's decreasing, maybe we need an awakening. You know, I, I love this story. The story is told of a, of a little boy that went to bed one night. It's an old story. I've told it many times. And he fell out of bed in the night. 
And the dad said to him, heard the thump and came in and put him back to bed. He said, why did, you, why did you fall out of bed? And the little kid said this, I guess I fell asleep too close to where I got in. So he got in the bed, fell asleep. And then he just said, I guess I fell asleep too close to where I got in. And when I heard that story, I wonder how many of us as Christians, we come into the Christian faith and we step into it and we get baptized and we begin and then we fall asleep. And we fall over in our Christian faith often because we fall asleep too close to where we get in. We don't understand that the Bible doesn't talk about falling in love with God. The Bible always talks about growing in love with God. And that requires an awakening to intimacy. My question for you is this. Do you want to know God more this year than you did last year? Anyone? If you do, and if I know I do, then we will need an awakening to this longing for intimacy. Secondly, there's a longing within every person for destiny. Ermin McManus, one of my favorite authors, he wrote, said this, all of us long to become something more than we are. We are driven to achieve, moved to accomplish, fueled by ambition. It burns hotter in others, in some than others, but it is within all of us. We're all searching for our unique purpose, our divine destiny. I was reading some research recently from Harvard uh, in, in America and, and they'd done a piece of research on the correlation between purpose in your life and health. And having interviewed and researched thousands of people, they reckon in this research that there's a massive correlation between those who have a purpose and are doing something purposeful with their lives to health. Not only mental health, but physical health. In other words, if you are fully engaged in purpose, which is something meaningful beyond yourself or even beyond your family, you are likely not only to have a better mental health, but and this is the research, but you're going to walk faster, grip stronger and sleep better. Isn't that amazing? That's why when people retire, I always, I've had so many conversations recently as people approaching retirement, my conversation is this, what are you going to do as you retire? Because you know you're not finished, don't you? You know that that's only the end of your working experience. There's a whole load of life for you to live. Who are you going to connect with? Who are you going to invest in? What are you going to do? Because if you do, you will increase your mental and physical health and you'll contribute and you'll fulfill a deep longing inside of you because we all have a deep longing for destiny. I love this verse from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now here's the interesting thing. That word, workmanship, in the original language is the word poema, which is where we get the word poem. For we are his poem. We literally are a piece of work. Why don't you turn to the person next to you and say, you're a right piece of work, you are. Do you know that? Because you are. <laughs> You are created to be, some of the other translations translate that as masterpiece. We are his masterpiece. We are his poem. We are his work of art. We are his piece of work. We're created by him for destiny and for purpose. So if that's true, what pleases God? Dave Ferguson said, if our pursuit of success is focused on pleasing someone other than God, we will find ourselves looking for something more. The young guy was awakened for longing. He took his father's money and he went just for himself. And so he woke up one morning, we'll look at this next week, and he realised, he came to his senses, the Bible says, that he was knocking on the wrong door. 
He was only trying to please himself. And you will always remain unfulfilled when your life is only always about you. So what pleases God? Because if that's what will please us ultimately, what pleases God? Well, loving God pleases God. Uh, Loving people pleases God. Listen to this quote. John Ortberg, great writer, he wrote this. God loves the worst person in his world more than you love the best person in yours. That's, to me, that blows me away. God loves the worst person in his world more than you love the best person in yours. He loves everybody more than you love anybody. And I know, for me, it's true. You know, I know that when I'm spiritually not in a good place, one of the indicators is I'm noticing people in need much less than I used to. That's one of the indicators that something needs to wake up in me. When I'm just ignoring people that I used to not ignore, then something is wrong. Are you loving people because that pleases God? Loving what he loves pleases God as well. I love the line in that song we sing, break my heart for what breaks yours. Are you loving the things that God loves? And then fourthly, loving yourself in a healthy way pleases God as well. That means investing in your growth, investing in your soul, your development. Healthy habits that you put into your life please God because that's an indicator that you're loving yourself in a healthy way. And that's why I think, you know, New Year's resolutions, whether you set them or not, the New Year is a great opportunity to reflect and to adjust. And if you don't want to set goals, don't. But do something in review and reflect and adjust. Because when you do, you're showing that you care about your own development and that pleases God. So there's a longing for intimacy in all of us. There's a longing for destiny. And thirdly, there's a longing, I think, for legacy. Again, Dave Ferguson says, fulfillment doesn't come from self-absorbed pursuits. It comes from doing something that has meaning beyond ourselves. I'm talking to a lot of people at the moment who may be in their 50s, 60s, and I'm working on something that I think God is shaping up in my own life to share about this. But it kind of comes out of this growing sense that there are many people in the world who, and in the church who have so much to give but get suckered into the lie that their best days are behind them and all that's in front of them is the golf course or that kind of stuff. And I don't think that's true. And years ago, I heard this guy speak called Bob Buford, an American guy. He owned a digital TV company. Uh, He was a billionaire, loaded guy. And there was a tragedy in his family when his son, who was a great swimmer in his 20s, died tragically in a swimming accident. And it so shocked Bob Buford that he sold the company and said, I'm going to do something more purposeful with my life. And he wrote a book called Half Time. And the book was really incredibly powerful. And I brought a whole series of those books. In fact, I gave one to my father who passed away in 2009 because he just go, was just going through the kind of early retirement kind of deal. And I gave one to him and I gave some to many other guys that I knew were about to take this early retirement. And in the book, Bob Buford says, listen, Many people in the Western world are now stopping their paid work younger than they used to and they're living older than they used to and there's a whole load of life in front of them. What are you going to do with all of that? And what he does in the book is he challenges people to give that time to invest in something that will last beyond you. It's called legacy. 
So when you invest in other people, you're investing in legacy. And that's a deep longing inside every single one of us, I believe. And he says this in the book. He says this, one of people's great fears is running out of money, but that's not their greatest fear. One of people's great fears is dying, but that's not our greatest fear. Deep down, our greatest fear is living a life of insignificance. To come to the end of our life and feel like we never really did anything that mattered. That is our greatest fear. I've read a lot of books over Christmas. And one of them that I read, one of the last chapters uh, was titled this. Who will cry at your funeral? I live a rock and roll life, I do. I tell you, I read some exciting books. But it was a great book, actually. And it was all about intimacy with God and with people. And at the end, one of his chapters was, who will cry at your funeral? And it was really interesting thought, because he said in the book this. He said, the people who won't cry at your funeral are your critics. The people whose approval you're trying to gain, but who won't give it. The rich people you want to hang around hoping you get something. Or the successful people that you hope that you rob some, something robs off. People who won't cry at your funerals, people who are cooler than you or more famous that you've never actually met or the beautiful women you know exist but don't actually know you exist or the people you're afraid of or the people who are afraid of you. None of them are going to cry at your funeral. Then he says this, the people who will cry is your kids and your family and your good friends and the people you've genuinely and personally invested in and helped. Then what he says is this, so why do we spend so much time preoccupied with the views and the thoughts of the people who won't cry at your funeral anyway? Why don't we put all that energy into those who will and invest in something that lasts beyond ourselves? Isn't that awesome? God, could you awaken in us this year a longing for legacy, a longing for destiny, and a longing for intimacy with you. I want to invite the band if they could come back up. You know, 2017 was a, a really, really great year for us as a church. Uh, it was. There were so many. Just leave this for one second, just the screen, okay? Uh, it was for so, for so many reasons. So many new things. So many big things. But you know, I want to say, what God is saying to us this year is this. 2017 was all about what it was all about. That's done now. 2018 is all about one thing. It's about building bigger people. Because it's great that we've got the bigger building and we've got the new name and the brand and all of that kind of stuff. Brilliant. But that ain't going to change anything. What's going to change something is when people are built bigger. When we build bigger people. I want to grow in 2018, don't you? And I, I want us to grow as well, and which is why what we're going to do is um, we're going to invest intentionally into this, and we'll talk about it more in the next few weeks. But in the month of March, we're setting aside the month of March before Easter as a month when we're going to intentionally invest in your spiritual growth. We do that all the time, but we're going to go big scale. So we've got a conference on the 3rd and the 4th of March, the opening weekend. We've got Malcolm Duncan coming to speak. We've got Paul and Priscilla Reed. We've got Phil Knox from You For Christ coming. And we're going to invest in that opening weekend and then throughout the month of March. But why we're doing that is because we want to see people built. But when you're built, when you have that awakening to lo uh, for intimacy with God and for destiny and for legacy, then it spills out and other things happen. You know, I had, a, I had lots of emails uh, over, e over Christmas, which was really encouraging. Great stories about people who've invited people to church and really incredible. I haven't got the time to tell you. 
But there was one email I had which really touched me. It was an email from someone who's very new to us who I don't know very well. But she, she wrote an email to me and, and said, I just feel like I need to tell you all this stuff about my life, which is very humbling. But then she said, there's one sentence which I want to read. And she said this, what I wanted to say to you is that since finding God again through Life Central, I'm slowly getting my life back on track. And when I read that, I thought, that's why we do what we do. To help people find God. To help people find God again. So they could get their life back on track. Isn't that amazing? That's what we're about, isn't it? But we'll only do that, folks, if we have an awakening on the inside. As a church, if we are people who are awakened to intimacy with God and to a sense of destiny and to a sense of legacy. And so what we're going to do this morning is that we're going to finish our time by taking communion together. So I'm going to ask the service if they could head out now, please. And we're going to take communion, not because this is what we do once a month, but because Jesus said, do this until I come again. And when we do it, what we're doing is we're reminding ourselves of what it's all about. God created us. God lost us. But God won us back. Amen. God created us. God lost us. But God won us back. And what we're doing when we take communion is we're reminding ourselves that we build our lives on a firm foundation, which is the finished work of Christ on the cross. So that you can take the TV now, guys. Thank you. So I'm going to pray. Why don't we just close our eyes for a moment. And I'm going to ask you, if you would pray this prayer with me today, okay? Before they serve you communion, just hold for a second. Would you pray this prayer with me today? God, if you're real, Awaken in me a longing for more, a longing for intimacy with you, a longing for destiny and legacy through my life. Let me just read that again. And if that's you, then you just kind of pray in your own heart as I pray. God, if you're real, awaken in me a longing for more, a longing for intimacy with you, a longing for destiny and legacy through my life. In Jesus' Name. Amen. Amen. What I'm going to do is that the guys are going to come and they're going to give you the bread and the, and the juice. Just hold on to it for a moment. And then we're going to eat and drink together as we finish our time together. At the start of this year, say, God, this reminds us about what you've done. The bread speaks of the body of Jesus that was broken for us on the cross. And the juice speaks of the blood of Jesus that was not spilled accidentally, but shed deliberately. This is how God won us back, folks. God created us, God lost us, but God won us back. Greater love has no man that he lay down his life. That's what Jesus has done. We're gonna learn about that over the next few weeks as we dive deeper into this story. The prodigal son, the one that went away and, and, the, and the father that brought him back and the, the son, the other prodigal son that didn't go away but was as lost as the other one. We're going to learn about what real love is and we're celebrating it right now as we take communion together.